Hello, welcome to Love Community Group. Today we are talking about community, very appropriate for our name of our group. And me and Kelsey are going to lead the discussion. We have an amazing group of community builders here and we're excited to get the, the discussion started. So I'm gonna go around and just introduce where I met everybody and have them introduce themselves a little bit and then we'll jump right into the discussion. Where should I start? I'll start on the left here with Adam. This is Adam Mefford. And we were, we probably met, we met, we figured out we met in Pasadena somewhere. <laughs> probably at a startup weekend or Currency. He has a group called Currency, which is focused on building community and kind of professional networks and um, getting the most out of communities. And would you like to add anything? Sure. Uh, Adam Mefford. I've lived in LA since fall of 2003. I uh, studied industrial design at Art Center. Um, founded an entrepreneurs group for the school in 2004, uh, ran an event series called Mindshare LA from 2006 to 2011, um, and have run an event called The Currency uh, since then, which strives to add community support for the individual entrepreneurs in our network, because as anyone who's undertaken a new venture knows, it's, it's very lonely, it's very um, psychologically challenging, personally challenging. Um, and it really can be aided by finding people who um, believe in us, can add their trusted perspective to the various challenges that arise. Um, so grateful to be here. This is your, I printed out his, his brochures so I can pass it around. Do you have a look at it? And then this is Anna Butler. We met from, we met from Social Enterprise Alliance. I actually think we met when we painted um, <laughs> There's a happy like, city, a happy, city a happy city LA. Yeah. You did fantastic. You like painted. I don't know. You did something <laughs> really. Yeah, a ghost in your like. It was like where you drink and then paint. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An art event. Yeah. <laughs> Making art. Exactly. Making, that was our happy city moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and happy. then she is a partner at Sustainable Law Group, which is one of my favorite law groups in the whole wide world. <laughs> <laughs> and would you want to add anything? Yeah, else? sure. So um, Anastasia Butler, attorney at Sustainable Law Group. We focus primarily um, on helping social entrepreneurs, nonprofits, green businesses, a full service business law firm. So we do everything from creating the company to capital raises all the way down to dissolutions and buyouts. So. And this is David Cutter. We met a lot. I might know you the longest of everybody here. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it was the time bank. And it was the time bank. It yeah. was Northeast LA time bank okay. that we met. Yep, yep. And he is a piano teacher extraordinaire. And would you like to add anything else? Sure. Um, so also helped co-found Transition Pasadena. So it's another community building organization um, working very heavily in the time bank. So um, I'm a coordinator of the Pasadena neighborhood. Um, and then I went into business about 10 years ago teaching piano and uh, have since discovered it's a too long a story. But just uh, there's a whole community building aspect to this. You know, pianists always have to study at home alone. And so they don't get the orchestra experience um, that other instruments get. So I figured out a way to give them a community experience with other pianists all at once. A piano orchestra. So He's got five that. pianos in one space where people can play together. Actually, there's seven in there. But. Seven! <laughs> <laughs> a 
won't talk about that one. Have you seen the piano downstairs yet? What's that? Have you seen the piano downstairs yet? I missed it. No, I was you that. You'll have to come on down. Point me. Point me. You are out there, yeah. And then this is Jordan's service. I'm the most closely related to Jordan. <laughs> we met because my sister married his brother. That is true. And he is an amazing director, editor, visual effects expert, and VR expert as well. I mean, and even also drones also. Uh, I have my hand in a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> Videographer, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to... Uh, yeah, I guess for the community group, I would be also interested uh, in talking about, I'm, I'm also an entrepreneur uh, coming from the, the VR world, uh, but that also uh, I'm looking at blockchain technology and how blockchain technology is going to impact communities in the future and how we can come up with... Blockchain uh, technology so is... Blockchain tech, yeah, so blockchain technology is like Bitcoin. It's, uh, yeah. If you've heard of Bitcoin, uh, that's basically all running on blockchain. And it's going to change a lot of how we approach contracts and just money and trade in the future. And I'm really interested in creating and scaling up a human-based sort of community unit that could uh, compete on scales that really only businesses and uh, current, uh, more advanced structures of capital can compete on. So like right now there's this issue of the family unit doesn't really compete at scale. And so how do you scale up sort of communities? And so I'm looking at tying uh, a housing solution to a blockchain solution. So. Unless you're the Trump family. Unless you're the Trump family, right, exactly. Right. Well, he, he's really a brand. He's not a human, right? Bingo. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's like, a, it's like a cooperative space where artists can live. Uh, that's a short and simple way of explaining it. Yeah, it's really it's complex it's and new. And it is complex it's, and it's complicated. And complicated, but the, the long and the short of it is how could you create places that could be artistically led, but are really just like, uh, any group sort of identity that you'd right. like. So if right. it's if it's art or a specific type of art, that could be a great for that group of people. Or if it's you know geriatric caregiving, you know that could be any, great for people. You know anything. Combination of people, yeah. Right. So. This is Alfonso Delgado, and we met working on Rizzolian Isles. He yes. is a producer, mostly focusing on post-production. Correct. And he also is a writer. He's writing a TV series right. that I am. It's a very personal story, and it is an awesome story, and I can't wait until it comes out. And what else would you like to add? Um, I also developed a three-phase educational program. I grew up in the 80s, in the 90s, in Boyle Heights, when it was like a little bit more violent than what it is now. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues was pairing up. Whenever I spoke to some of those kids or people my age and asked, what would you do differently when you were growing up? Said, if I would have just followed sports, I would have done this. If I didn't do this, I probably would never have went down that mm -hmm, path. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I developed one where we follow these people and they have to give back and find a teenager there that's actually going through that. Very cool. I didn't know that. And then after that, the second phase is we actually follow the teens because no one knows what they're going through but mm -hmm. them. But they always hold it to themselves yeah. and that's a big issue. Now, after that is who gives birth to them? Because they're learning something from someone. And then we go to the third phase. Who and that's where we follow. Like yeah. new to their new life. Who's, yeah. who's the adults that are Very educating cool. them? So I developed that. That one's kind of complicated because the network that wanted it wanted to see more violence. Mm -hmm. And in those type of worlds, you just don't ask for that. You know, it's going to happen on its own. You yeah. don't go asking and looking for it. <laughs> so to fabricate that, it kind of put everything on hold. For entertainment world. Yeah, and so that we had to put that on hold. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little complicated. Um, and then this next series that I started writing, that's actually based on my life story. So. 
Um, but I'll share a little bit more later. Okay. Yeah, we have plenty of time to talk about projects later also. Yeah. So this is Holly Bachman. We met at the LA Chamber and she has two, we have like so many amazing things going on right now. But one thing that is really amazing to me is Mixed Roots, the foundation. She has a nonprofit foundation that is very focused on post-adoption services for the family. There's not really a lot of stuff that does that at all right now. And there are, I mean, as we can all imagine, there's a lot of, what I don't want to say issues, but like just challenges that come with all of the people in the families. And she helps them really lead a happier life, lead a more fulfilling life by kind of putting the pieces together in a, in a holistic way. And then, do you want to share anything else? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so as Amy said, so Holly, and, and I also include my middle name, so Holly Chun Hung Bachman. No, 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 but yeah, because um, just when I do self-introductions to kind of educate people that live, so my, I, I actually was adopted from South Korea, grew up in Minnesota, and uh, then lived in San Francisco for eight years, and then I've been here in LA for three years, and my other hat is, as um, Amy mentioned, is, I actually have two other hats, is um, I co-chair the LA Chambers Nonprofit Council. We just celebrated one year anniversary, and then I also consult that kind of helps pay the bills, um, is the California Consulting, and they're the uh, largest grant writing firm in the state, and we help secure funds, local, state, federal, for schools, uh, nonprofits, special districts, and cities, and so, um, but yeah, my real kind of passion and kind of um, my whole kind of life story has been um, really my being adopted and then also in the transracial adoption, meaning my whole family's white. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with the race and culture issues. Um, and I actually just really briefly had the opportunity to go back to Korea twice. And so my first trip to Korea was actually when I started a high school culture diversity group called Mixed Roots. And that was essentially really raising awareness and bringing diversity and multiculturalism. And then over 20 years later, I had a chance to go back to Korea a second time and visit my orphanage for the first time. I was actually three and a half years old when I was adopted, so got to see baby pictures. I was just sharing earlier, I found out that my real birthday is actually August 15th and not August 10th. So just a lot of different factors, you know, as you talk about challenges, you know, not knowing your medical health background, um, you know, having that blood connection. Um, and so, yeah, so working with the foundation now is we're raising awareness, raising funds for the adoption foster care community and uh, really creating that community, which I'll share more later. So, but I'm uh, honored to be here and be invited and, you know, thank you. This is Janelle Hu. We met at Coro. Coro is a leadership development program that's really based on uh, like a holistic look at at, at the community, at what we need to do to be a good, solid, sustainable community. And so it's very, there's like a very heavy public arm to it as well, since a lot of, you know, politicians kind of deal with that public stuff. And you, and oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of the, oh yes, I tell us the name of, of, of your, the place that you work. Yeah. Sure, hi. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, Amy, and nice to meet all of you here today and all of you out there. Um, uh, my name is Janelle Hu. I just, I've been working with Asian Americans Advancing Justice. 
Los Angeles here in Southern California. It's a legal aid, civil rights, nonprofit organization. And we've been around for about 34 years, so it's a community-based organization. And it was interesting to hear uh, Amy in talk about what we are going to be, you know, opining on um, this evening because as I recently moved back from Washington, D.C., uh, where I lived for 14 years, I grew up and I was raised in California, but just returned to California about three and a half years ago. And so just been thinking about community, both in the sense of the organization for which I work, which is really exciting because we represent uh, low-income, immigrant, limited English proficient community members, not just within, although the organization says, you know, Asian Americans, um, but Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, Latino, African American, other yeah, like yeah. Arab and Middle Eastern, South Asian communities. So just thinking about community, not just in respect of what we, you know, who we work with and who we work for, but who we ally with. And also been thinking and really wrestling, especially moving back to the city after having been gone for so yeah. long, it's like rebuilding community and what that looks like, right? So on a, on a professional context, right? But like starting a new, well-ish, new-ish, but also in a personal context, you know, what does it look like to have community? And I was asking Amy, like, are, you know, are we talking about kitchen cabinet community? Like our own personal community? So yeah, I've just been really wrestling with that that question and still like working through a lot of that. And I think we all probably one. could relate <laughs> in some degree. But it's funny that you had mentioned the piano. I really thought that I, there was something wrong with me. I played piano throughout my whole childhood. Oh, yeah. And I thought, well, I know, like, but I got to sit here and I got to practice, but I want to go out and play. Yeah. And I thought I would really prefer maybe if I had the play the piccolo or the ukulele <laughs> where I had something where I could go out and play with people all the time so yeah, yeah clearly I like enjoy the community aspect of both like working with and playing alongside and living with and challenging and being challenged by people around me this is David Fridley who we've had on before on love community group and he has designed an awesome application which is called civil pursuits and we're actually going to use it to develop our, not develop our values so much as develop like the wording of the values and to get buy-in of the values for Love Community Group as we, as we uh, continue to develop as a community. And I'll let you say anything else that you want to add. Sure, well, um, so I'm David Fridley and uh, Civil Pursuit is the idea of how do we sort of get together online and solve these problems that basically have us stuck. And um, there's actually a, um, in person, there's this idea of deliberative discussions where there'll be a professional facilitator, he'll get 100 people or something like that and break them up into small tables and lead them through a discussion. And they will actually come to understand each other and, and work together and, and find solutions. But when you know all these people get together on Facebook, it kind of goes the other direction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really looking at well, how do you how do you take what works in in person yeah. and and make that work online? Mm -hmm. And um, and I sort of I, I I talk with professional deliberators about some of this, and uh, some of them are like, well, you know, you can't do it online; it has to be you know in person. And so it's like, well, let's break it down and see, you know, because basically we gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep trying. We're just not gonna make solution. it go yeah. fast enough. But yeah. as far as community is concerned, 
that's actually some of the things that, um, that, that people bring up. It's like, well, online, you know, do you feel like you belong or, or trust these people? Or are you willing to be you know, vulnerable? And um, so how do we make that? I mean, how do we make those connections online and feel like we're part of this big community called America or Earth? Um, so yeah. that's, that's a big question. And I'll let Kelsey, my co-host, introduce herself. <laughs> I'll introduce myself. Um, so my name is Kelsey. I haven't met most of you before tonight. But um, I run the Love Community Group here with Amy. And um, so I'm really excited as far as tonight goes. Um, this space here is actually my husband, Robert, and my, um, it's our new business venture. And it's a turnkey production space for creatives um, with full photo, video, and music production capabilities. So I think that you'll probably love downstairs the full scoring space and stuff like that. And there's a piano. And um, I'm really excited about this particular conversation tonight because as I've been, this is a newer venture for us, and as I've been, you know, talking to people and starting to put into more words and get concrete about, you know, really why we're here and what we're doing, it's really boiled down to two pieces, empowerment and community. And so the empowerment piece is about, you know, at a very affordable rate, giving um, creatives top quality everything so that they can get out there and get their, their vision and their voice out in the world. And the other piece is really trying to develop a community of people doing that. And so we're you know, exploring different ways and different applications within the business. We're doing supper clubs and we're doing hosting a community group and we're doing um, workshops and um, free events. So you guys are actually all welcome back here next Wednesday. <laughs> we're gonna have a free cocktail party. Um, so it's, it's exciting for, for me as someone a little bit I feel like newer in this sort of like public space of building community to be able to participate in this conversation and get to hear from so many people who are already out there doing such amazing work. So thank you all for being here. And then this is Dina Yunkin, who we met from Amy Turk introduced us, Downtown Women's Center, one of my favorite organizations in Los Angeles. And she uh, is very, she was actually, she's gonna come last time and talk about creativity and then she ended up being able, this is one of her favorite topics, is community. So she ended up being able to come this time. Yes, my name is Dean Youngkin. Um, I work for the Downtown Women's Center um, and we run a social enterprise called Made by DWC. So the social enterprise, um, we work um, completely with women, women living in poverty, living on the streets, living in homelessness. Uh, and we run three businesses where we have a cafe and gift boutique, we have a resale boutique, and then we have a handmade product line. So I oversee um, pretty much everything that has to do with the handmade product line, so distribution, um, running job training programs, design, all of that. Um, and we um, use the product line to empower women to um, like regain a social network, to re-engage with um, a skill or craft, to re-engage with the workforce, to build economic stability. Um, a really cool thing about the product line is it's also a tool for us to advocate for women and for homeless mm. um, issues. And we, so we use it as a marketing tool. Um, we have the cafe that people can come down and actually um, engage in a space, a community space, where they can have a nice cup of coffee and do their work. And through that process, um, hopefully uh, learn um, something um, important about homeless issues. Yeah, it's a beautiful space, and it's it's in a it's right on 
right where all the homeless population yeah, so is there. So it's a good place for people to go in and engage with the population. Yeah, it really acts as a bridge between sort of the loft dwellers or the financial district and other areas right. that are happening downtown and Skid Row, and it's a great space that can bring people together. Um, and then with our handmade products, you know, people come in and buy them and then they gift them mm -hmm. to other people. So we're now spreading that story. We're sharing the story of those women. You know, it could be, it could be global. You know, um, yeah. There's a lot of potential in where the products can end up and how we can share that story through a candle or a bar soap. And then we have Howard Broadman. We met at Social Enterprise Alliance. We actually were in a competition against each other, and he blew me out of the water. He was so good. He's, he's marketing extraordinaire, storyteller extraordinaire, and I'll let you tell a little bit more about yourself. Thanks. Oh, it's funny. I, 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 I relived that not that long ago. Um, so yeah, I'm Howard Broadman. I have a company called Sports and Social Change, and uh, we do social impact marketing. Uh, in the sports community, so the whole idea is really to kind of bring brands and nonprofits together and kind of help change the world through the power of sports. Um, and the, you know, the sports community, I was talking with some people earlier. Um, it's interesting when I, you know, when I say I work in sports, people immediately say, "Oh, what team do you work with, or yeah. what athlete?" Because most people think of sports as the world of professional sports, and there's certainly a big aspect to that, and that's kind of the sport for entertainment community. But there's a whole other piece, which is the sports people actually play. Mm -hmm. And that is a massive Normal. community <laughs> and sub-communities within, whether you're a surfer or a snowboarder or you play golf or tennis or you do yoga or whatever it is, that's your community. But at the same time, you could be a Laker fan, a Dodger fan, a mm -hmm. Chelsea fan or whatever, that's also your community. Uh, so that's the great thing about sports is it is a community building platform first and foremost. And what's cool about it is it's also a community around things people love yeah. and are super passionate about and they're there for something fun. So what better place to be able to then activate them around some really important social issues. So that's kind of been my, my goal since I started. I worked through the sports industry for the last 20 plus years and saw a lot of these opportunities and said, well, wait a minute, how do we kind of take this big behemoth of an industry that generates a lot of money and a lot of media power and start to kind of focus it in on solving, you know, some of these some of these issues. And we've got an amazing roster of nonprofits that are in the sports community, and they, to a large degree, they get kind of unnoticed. They're really kind of below the radar. And, and my goal is to help those organizations kind of have a larger voice and get a seat at the table, and and really start to leverage the power of our our industry to, to do more good. All right, beautiful. Thank you, guys. That was excellent. So let's jump right into the question of what do we believe? What is community to you? What do you believe about it? Let's. Can we come up with a definition? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Who would like to start? Well, I will. I mean, I'll just kind of feel like it's always like you know fun to be the first person. So I'll just get that <laughs> yeah. started right away. Yeah. And I'll say that as I was preparing for this conversation tonight. Largely, what I found is that community is very difficult to define. Mm. And when you can define it, it requires a tremendous amount of sacrifice from those who are committed to the community. Mm. Um, and it can be very, you know, can be very challenging because ultimately to have true community, it requires this massive sort of buy-in from people, mm. um, being willing to like submit to what is greater for the whole group 
then grow with the individual. And I think that that's just very challenging in our in our American, very American society where, society. you know, it's all about the individual and that's sort of what's praised. But ultimately that drive, I, I feel like it drives us further apart, right? Mm -hmm. Like if the goal and what brings us happiness and joy is togetherness, then our obsession with individualism, you know, can be very, very challenging. So that's been something I've been really <laughs> coming up against personally, <laughs> as I've been learning a lot about community and being like, oh, so I'm gonna have to get uncomfortable. Huh, all right. <laughs> well, well, I'll just jump in. I, I have two points that I, that I think about when I think of community is, the first one is when I think about freedom and I think about what it means to be free, if I think about freedom, I definitely don't think about freedom by myself. Like I'm not actually free if I'm alone, right? And if I think about what I mean by freedom, I, what I mean is being able to express myself within my society and culture. So there's a part of community that is just like the, the, the water that you swim in or the air that you breathe. It's just kind of the interface that you interact with the world around you. And then the other aspect of that is, um, yeah, you can't, it's definitely, you have to be in a group, but there, like you said, it's difficult, there's a sacrifice. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's always going to be a need for great leaders to keep pushing it forward. Mm -hmm. And that, in my opinion, the whole reason why we even have society was to come together to go against nature as a group, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're taking our society and we're using that to create more competition between people, for the people who are organizing that competition's advantage, you're not actually creating a society, you're not creating a community. Mm -hmm. So a community, I think you have to have a sort of one shared story that you could say, yeah, we disagree about a lot of different things, but this is why, we, why we're united. You know, this is what brings us together. This is what we're looking forward to. So it's a bit complex, but. Yeah, well, jumping in on that, I think just um, maybe summarizing what both of you said is a group of people coming together with shared value or shared meaning or mm -hmm. a shared purpose. Yeah. And then, you know, we can <laughs> take that. And I would add that I don't think it needs yeah. to be complicated. Um, I mean, it certainly has complex aspects. If you're trying to build something, it can get overwhelming and uh, sacrificing. But, you know, I see it as it's, it's two, three or more people, you know, many more, but it could be as simple as two or three people together. And for me, I, it, it takes me beyond myself. I, I, can, I can be part of something beyond myself now and so experience that diversity of people um, and in diversity in time and space. And, you know, it's just bigger than me. Uh, so I think that's what I like. I think uh, also, I think uh, there's that sense of belonging. Um, mm -hmm. I think with uh, Mixed Roots, that was one of the reasons for creating, say, Mixed Roots is um, it was actually a high school culture diversity group, but then it evolved into like a foundation creating a greater community. But for those that, you know, ha um, um, have been on the fringes, you know, to like, you know, uh, we work with a lot of the international foreign exchange students. And then of course, you know, dealing with race and culture, and then of course all the other identities, but being able to bring those communities together to um, share the culture, but also to share identity um, and to um, help uh, make people feel like that they belong and that they're not on the outside. I have a follow-up question from your introduction. <clears throat> the idea of identity is really multifaceted in this culture and it's quite interesting. Do you either presently or in future, do you foresee working with families and adopted children to think about how to craft 
that sense of belonging in terms of personal narrative? Absolutely. In fact, we're working on that right now, literally. Um, one of our partners is 23andMe and yeah. uh, DNA mm -hmm. testing. And uh, one of the really roots of when you talk about your, your actual identity, your, your, your DNA, because we always talk about your DNA never changes. So, mm -hmm. um, so if you can learn about your roots and say transracial adopted kids, uh, and then we actually have families do it together. Uh, because we don't want them to feel like, oh, you're adopted, so you, right. you need to find your, you know, and, which actually my generation of parents um, kind of, you know, you know, don't treat your child as anyone different, but yet you're going to, we're going to send you to a Korean heritage camp, you know, um, <laughs> and, 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 and yet they didn't have to do that learning and education of Koreans because that, you know, they felt like, and, and knowingly being just parents and loving and caring, they didn't realize that that, that was actually all isolating because I grew up pretty much white, and so you know to be thrown into a group of Asian faces and people that I didn't know, even though on the outside people knew that I was Asian, but I didn't feel Asian. So that identity piece was really huge. Um, so definitely, um, that is always something that we're working on, and also from a health and medical standpoint too. When you feel like you're, you know, you don't have those really key pieces, um, you know, um, being those resources. So. Actually, I think an interesting word that came up through everybody, and it's, I, it's, it's kind of obvious, but it's sharing, mm -hmm. because that's really what a community is. And to your point, community that's can be, yeah. it could be two, three people can make a community as long as there's that interaction and there's that sharing. And that sharing means sometimes you're giving more and sometimes yeah. you're taking more, but mm -hmm. at some point in time, it's going to reach an equilibrium. There has to be a balance of that. If, if, it's, like it's, that. if it's everybody taking, then there is no community because there's probably not going to be anything left. And yeah. if everybody is just sharing and nobody's taking, then everybody's wanting to give and nothing's really happening. There's not as much community there either. So it's it's kind of an ever-changing system, and it mm -hmm. could it could grow from two to three people to two to three thousand, but it could you know slide right back down again. It all depends. It never has a a form or a structure to it. I think that's one of the interesting things about it. It's it's hard to define it mm -hmm. because it doesn't really ever it's have a set format. It's always going to change. It's always changing. Yeah. Sorry. I was just saying it's almost the difference between a community and um, and like an like an organization or something. Like you can community. I was thinking it was interesting. One of the things that came up was this idea: the community we want to be, and not the mm -hmm. negative community. I have something that kind of came up for me a little bit. I think really while well, everyone was talking, I saw this sign once and it said, it was an Instagram post or something, and it said, create more of what you need. And so I feel like that's really kind of what came up for me while you guys were talking, where it's the idea that like community is something we create, and we create it kind of piggybacking, I think, of what you were saying earlier, of like, it's something that you, that's something that's bigger than yourself. It's something that's, uh, it's not something you can experience outside alone right and so you're you're creating it because it's something that you lack or it's something you desire or it's something you need more of and so rather than sitting i think this is the essence of community right rather than sitting back and saying i sure wish somebody would do that you know and yeah. judging everyone who's doing it and not doing it the way that you want to do it it's taking ownership and saying i'm going to create this thing that i desire on behalf of another person and i feel like that's really like i feel like i really connected with what you were saying that you were doing right. it, even even right. you as a recipient were doing it for still another person. Participating, showing right. up. Yeah. I think another theme that I'm hearing is fluidity. It's not one thing, so it's scalable, but 
it can that scale can be made up of all different aspects too. Yeah. So if it's Lexical. a neighborhood, you know, it can be made up of culture and art and different, you know, identity or if it's and a people will group. move in and move out. Yeah, exactly. But you made me think of that with moving in and moving yeah. out. You know, so you know, your community's changed and how has Los Angeles changed since you came back and you mm -hmm. had to relearn it and mm -hmm. there's different restaurants and there's different organizations mm -hmm. to tap into. And so there's this constant movement and you know, how do we yeah, um, okay. yeah. participate and keep participating when things are constantly evolving, changing, flowing. Which is a perfect segue into yeah. talking about how what gets in the way of Accessible. Being a good community member and making a community that is Helping. that helps everybody live up to that, 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 that accomplishes the shared purpose, the positive community. Oh, people, have. what is the That's purpose? What's what the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. People get in the way. I know. Right? There's Politics. no shared purpose. We don't have a shared purpose. Politics. Well, we're assuming yeah. the community is a positive community that has a shared purpose. Well, but and keep in still mind, gets in the so, way. Yeah, so the, the that positive purpose community is built up of people who are probably like-minded, but as you get deeper in, it's really about what is everybody's, I want to say agenda, but what's their purpose? Why, why are they involved in the community? And then it's how does that manifest? How does that really come out? And I think that, you know, don't go, I don't want to go too deep down the rabbit hole of the, of, of the negative side, but, you know, if we take religion as a community, as all as sub-communities yeah. within, and there are people within certain religions that have done very bad things, are those people still a part of that community? It's up. Is it up to the community to decide? That's do they great. do they extricate those people? Do they say no? We need to help bring those people back in. You know, where is that? And and it can be the same for any community. I don't want to just paint religion as that. It can be no different but that's i think the challenge that that's really what always gets in the way is is people and ego and agenda and values. how does that all factor in and values absolutely well i want to add to uh, one of my ment longtime mentors um uh came up with uh intent versus impact mm -hmm. and i think it's very powerful because speaking to what you're saying about when you join or be part be part of something um what are your true intentions i mean it could be even intentions of you know, uh, still going along with my theme with, you know, adopting a black child or, or, or loving someone this way or, you know, being part of, you know, this group or that, you know, what is your true intention? And then taking a step further is that you could all have all the right intentions, but your impact yeah. could be completely different. Yeah. So kind of being... That happens well, a lot, yeah. actually. <laughs> and and, and self, the self-manifestation and the self-fulfilling prophecy, too, is you know, not realizing like, even in just interpersonal relationships, like I'm going through one right now saying, hey, I'm doing all this stuff, but it, the impact is doing the reverse. Right. And it's like, you have to take a step back and like, whoa, and reassess kind of mm -hmm. that intent. Yeah. yeah, I think that what you said about intent is spot on because right. yes, I agree. People are 99% of all problems. But I think, uh, but that being said, I think if you really look at intent and you look, analyze the communities, and I, I think also it depends on the question, because if you're talking about what prevents communities from following their, like getting the impact that they want, because it seems like there's a lot of people here that want to do social change and change the way things are organized. But we have this intent, but we can't make the impact. 
And I think if you really start analyzing it, there's a structural issue here, that, that there's a certain level of intent at certain scales that does not get listened to. And it doesn't matter who you are, and if you don't have that organization, you will not pass that. And people are way too busy, and surviving is just what it is, is yeah. that we have a society that's organized to maximize profits, and it puts people to compete against each yes. other mm -hmm. rather than cooperate with yep. each other. And so if you don't address the systemic issues, I don't think you can really match that intent to impact mm -hmm. because there's just so much systemic right. blocking, mm -hmm. uh, even if you had perfect people. I just want to say too though, I feel like if people are 99% of the problem, they're also 99% of the solution. It's true. Right? Yeah. I love it. And I think the thing is, is I think to me, one of the, like, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about what gets in the way of true community, I think it's, it's brokenness. It's other people's brokenness. And so I think that's part of why, like, um, I think, you know, so many of you guys come from these, these backgrounds of um, social change and, like, structural change and things like that. And I'm curious to hear, like, some of maybe, I mean, I know off the top of my head, probably you, <laughs> of, like, ideas you maybe have about, like, what, what does it look like to communicate about community? Um, what does it look like to help, help heal and be able to, like, bring that about? in like a community setting, I feel like. Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's right. But uh, you know, as far as you know, the work that the Downtown Women's Center is doing is, I think why I really resonate with it is that whether you're in our day center or you're in our cafe or you know, you're working in the offices, there's, um, it's a comfortable space, it's an inviting space and it's a space where you feel safe. and. Um, staff feel safe Safety and that allows the women that we serve a safe place to come and you know explore in, in a work setting you know we allow um, vulnerability and we allow them to come in and be able to make mistakes and not be judged for that and then work on mentorship mm -hmm. to get them to the next level or to meet them where they're at with their goals that's kind of that's the big thing is just being providing a space that meets you where you're at when you walk through the door. Mm. And I think that's really important as we come into a community as so many different people, yeah. you know, you come into a safe, a, a place that feels safe for you to explore. And yes, the space is doing that as well. Yeah. You know, it's creating that, that um, a space of openness where we can all come together and discuss mm -hmm. our ideas, backgrounds. Right. Right. Do you know someone mm -hmm. named Latanya Renee? Um, I, was, I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say, you know, I mean, you're all speaking to valid, what I'll call symptoms, and I think you're you're digging down into. Really, I think the issue is that we're all ensconced in a structure and a society that's built a certain way that's based true. on historical things, and um, you know, I think one of the reasons we have. Unsolvable problems quote is you know we don't talk about these things in polite yes. company so um, I hope you'll indulge me because I want to talk about come it. on bring it uh, up <laughs> so you know economy that's it and it's and it's a 15th century notion that we're operating on uh, which is that you know there's infinite horizons out there that have infinite resources amongst them and you just bring them back and it's profit to pay back all the debt-based created money and we're operating the same way today. Um, and so that, that assumption is no longer true. The horizons are all known, they're finite, and the resources are just as finite. Um, 
So we're operating like you, know, you can do infinite growth on a finite planet. I see what you're saying. Okay, and, and we can. It's kind of like yeah. in the 1700s, maybe you could say that there was more value in dominating over nature than there was in collaboration, right? right? right. And I think at a certain point in history, and I think it's clearly the, in the Industrial Revolution, yeah. that the value of human collaboration is so much more than the value that you get from dominating over nature. Well, so moving forward, if you're taking that model of dominating over nature and turning that back on culture... But that's just one aspect. Right, yeah, and that's one aspect. Right, and right. One aspect. So all I'm saying, uh, or to go deeper here, is like we are reaching a point where our assumptions are no longer going to... I mean, they aren't working now. People are suffering because the economy doesn't work the way it used to. And the cry is more growth. And it's just... You know, we can creep that up for some amount of time. Nobody knows how much time. But at some point, you know, it's going to get worse. And we have to start facing the fact that it's not working. And so, you know, in polite company, these conversations are going to have to start happening because yeah. they're certainly not going to happen in the government or large institutions. Yeah. They start happening, though, when it affects people personally. That's yeah. correct. Right. That's really yeah. when it is. When you can't well, sit at home on Sunday that's night why and watch we have Thrones is Trump. when you're going to go, oh, shit. What the heck? Can I say shit on <laughs> yeah, the internet? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, yes. Oh, shit. You know, we now have a problem because my HBO is out. I mean, that's what I mean. Until, people's, until it affects your lifestyle, that's when people stop and go, wait a minute, I didn't realize oh, that this problem is this big, whether it's climate change or... Or, or the income or the gap and whatever those things gap, are, yeah. that's when it hits, when it, when it impacts your day-to-day -day experience. And this but, is a significant like, reason, I'm sorry, yeah. why you know, a significant portion of the population elected Donald Trump. It's like they've been cast aside. I'm talking about the Midwest, most no, the obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but what you're saying is basically what, what, what was your name again? Uh, David. David. What David was saying before, which is he's trying to get these conversations yeah. online. Yeah. Yeah. And what is essential to these conversations is leadership. You know, and I think with all of these communities, you have to have leadership, and there's a real lack of leadership. And I think and leadership uh, training. Well, leadership That's training, but also is. coming up with solutions that would actually could compete in this environment. Because I don't think top-down yeah. solutions, like political solutions, are going to work. Right. I think you really have to have something that's coming out of industry. Yeah, it's I want to offer you a different perspective. Please. I've heard in, in pursuing what I've been pursuing, I've heard lots of people tell me, you know, good ideas about how we could make things work better. Lots of people have these good ideas. Yeah. And, and actually, people are really good problem solvers. Yeah. If, you, if you get them, you know, to hear a bunch of problems, they'll... They'll figure out another yeah. answer. Um, and um, I mean, you talk about, I don't know, wanting to find really good leaders, but there, there's something else. It's like, how do we get together? How do we start? Because everybody's got these ideas. Right. So let's just but, do okay, it. So if we have a lot of really on. good ideas, right, in mm -hmm. our current political system, you have one guy with a really good idea mm -hmm. who starts running for office. Now he's growing up against someone else who's running for office with another really good idea. And now those guys are in competition, mm -hmm. right? So the political process by nature is going to create a silo effect of those good ideas, mm -hmm. right? Whereas if you come at it from a bottom-up perspective, you mm -hmm. could really say, okay, this is our goal. Let's get this done. Let's forget about politics and just get it done. You know, but but how could you? Essential problem of politics right now is the way it's it is like it's like as if as if the fact that Donald Trump is the president actually matters on some level. Like the fact of the matter is, if we want to solve these problems, we need to get up off of our asses and start making mm -hmm. things happen right here in our own communities, and then we have the power. This is a very like mm -hmm. I'm going to get on the soapbox for one quick second. 
and say, I started to feel like this is a very essential time in history because we have, a, we have more power as the people than we've ever, ever had before. And we have the ability to disseminate information. We have the, pow the ability to come together and to group and to form. But that power is in jeopardy right now because somebody's figuring out how to make money off of it. And someone's figuring out how to change the internet so you don't see information mm -hmm. anymore. And people yeah. are trying to figure out how to keep us under control. And so I think it's very vital that we that that we figure out these pieces of like how to come together <laughs> online. Mm -hmm. And I mean that's literally I really will stop talking in a second. But it's literally <laughs> why we start, my, Amy and I started this is we sat back in November and we couldn't get out of bed for a couple of days like everyone else and we were like okay, my at least wow. for me my assumption was half of the country can't be the assholes I think they are, right? right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be something I'm missing. Because I'm not hearing them, and they're not hearing me, and how do we start having these conversations? And so our whole goal, I mean, our whole goal is just do exactly, I think that's like, that mm -hmm. kind of got me excited when you were like, well, I guess this is the solution. I'm like, yeah, you're right, this is the solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's another piece here that um, I'm not hearing. Mm -hmm. um, and so let me add it. Um, so it's not apparent yet, but a lot of, I mean, people, there's good news here in what I'm going to say, and there's bad news. The bad news is that, you know, the way we've been running our society, which is a top-down model, yeah. based on a lot of energy input, is going away because that energy isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. We can't run it this way. And so more disseminated solutions, more large institutions are going to become more and more dysfunctional. You already see it. And that's just going to continue, and it's going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. So it's going to be individuals in our location and I hope the internet stays alive so that projects like yours can do what they do. But, you know, really I think it's the physical people that you're around that are really gonna be critical. Um, so as that starts to take hold, I think I just forgot my point, uh, but it was basically tagging on what you were saying. I was saying that we have more power now than we ever had. We have to well, right, that. yeah. Um, and I think that's where it's really gonna, these solutions well, are gonna come from. Is so so let me go into, um, sort of the problem of scale. So we talk about let's, let's all get in together in our, our communities and, and get things going, and that's great, and we need to do that. But when we, I mean, I don't know, these organizations are huge, and this country is huge, and we're talking about laws that affect everybody. So if we wanted to talk about, I, I often use the example of gun control, okay, you know, there just aren't enough people in this community to represent all of the other viewpoints they have in Texas and Louisiana and Florida and, and, um, and stuff like that. So because our humanity scale or America's scale has gotten so large, there's this part that's missing that, you know, we can't talk with all these people, but we're trying to come up with one law that applies to everybody. Now, some of that should be, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should let the states set their own minimum wage or um, an experiment and see what works and, and what doesn't work. And, and um, I don't know, that's, that's one part. But there's this other part where um, the, I mean, this communication that needs to go on is basically being filtered through the mass media right. that's driven by money. And so these media channels are focusing yeah. on the liberals and these media right. channels are focusing on the Republicans. Or the so that's the, that's the nonsense that's out there. And, right. the, and the, the stuff, the gold is really what's happening amongst individuals because right. here's the good news is that individuals are waking up mm -hmm. and that they are acting. 
in their locales, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, to the extent they can online. But but really, it's what they're physically doing in their community. And so I'm talking about people farming and gardening and you know, who knows mm -hmm. what else, timing. And I mean, that's what I know about. So, but but it's like active local yeah. action, mm -hmm. um, and it's totally antithetical to these large institutions. Um, it's just. You gotta act locally because that's the only thing that's really functioning. <laughs> and to that point, your app is starting with community councils, with neighborhood councils, right? Uh -huh. That's the main yeah, people. Yeah, that's I, the main I, groups of people. So it's a local solution mm -hmm. that can start local, but also join forces with the bigger community, which is part of the scale thing that we were talking about. Is like how. How do you scale community? Well, if you get these people from this community online and these people from that community online, they can do their community thing, but now they can talk with each other. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep adding communities then and and have sort of one place you go for, for all of this kind of discussion, then it's 831 oh. right now. I just want to be cognizant of the time because we are supposed to technically go, you know, I know you probably have to leave also, yeah. <laughs> um, but we go off live at 830. But let's just see what the group, do you have I'd an say anyone out? who needs to go by all means, like you're more than welcome and anyone who'd like to continue. We have a couple more. We haven't even gotten to all our questions. I know we want to talk about projects. That's yeah, the one that's I want everybody to have a chance yeah. to talk about projects yeah. if, if you want to stay for that. So yeah, feel comfortable to leave well, or stay, whatever you'd like. So the idea, yeah. of, well, the idea with projects is that we want to, our whole goal with the conversation is obviously kind of get on the same page, share ideas, disseminate information, things like that, but then also kind of bring to the table like things that you're actually working on mm -hmm. that you would either like want to share with people or want support in or maybe looking for ideas and advice, things like that. Um, and then maybe, who knows, like maybe like your project can help you and like you guys can come together and our goal is just to really actually like let's take action, not yes. just talk about it, yes. but let's kind of figure out what does this actually look like, like a granular like real world level in our lives. So. Cool. There, that helps a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I've just hearing everyone out in critical legal theory for a while now, there's been this kind of hypothesis that any action really takes place at a local level. Mm -hmm. So these aren't new notions yeah. that we're exploring. Like, this has been something we've no and studied and, <laughs> and we know. I feel like we know, like, at yeah. like a very like baseline human level, like, you know, when a community works and it's not about intention as much as it's just, it's, I don't know, it just being part of that self-care almost, like how we can be a real human is participating in these communities. Well, I almost feel like that kind of piggybacks off of what yeah. you were saying earlier, that it's really not like the human level, it's the structural level and like the way that like maybe the context that we're in, right? It's not that we can't connect, but the context that we're in literally kind of pits us against each other right. and separates us yep. when we're really all connected. Right. Yeah. I have an example and, and talking about sports, I, my, my ears lit up because um, just really quick project that we've been working on for six years um, and it, it, it literally has evolved. But um, so we do uh, with Mixed Roots Foundation adoptee night and it's like just like Korean heritage, um, you know, Latino, LGBT. Um, and uh, we started with the San Francisco Giants. And uh, I had previously worked with the Korean Heritage Night, and, uh, and then when, um, when we started, when the Mixed Roots Foundation was established, I said, you know, do you realize that six in 10 people in your stadium has some connection to adoption? Mm. There's over 100 million people here in the US that mm. has some connection. And they're like, 
I'm listening. <laughs> that, that's money. That's, yeah. That seats, you know, uh, filled seats. Yeah. Uh, but then what's interesting when you talk about the identity piece is that it's almost kind of like the LGBT identity is that no one really knows that you're adopted unless you come out and oh, you actually say it. And uh, in fact, <coughs> and, and, and so when we did our first adoptee night event, and we also have a tagline because then we got feedback saying, well, my child's not ad adopted. Well, by fact, it, they are. But maybe they don't call themselves adoptees or adopted. But from a marketing perspective, we had to get the message out saying, hey, there's a shared community of all these adoptees that maybe you don't know about. And, um, <coughs> and also to say, when you're adopted, a lot of people, um, some of them, um, internalize that experience. And so by having this out in the public and utilizing the sports platform, um, it has brought out so many people and also adoptive parents, foster parents, just having that national dialogue essentially. So mm -hmm. since then, we've worked with uh, the MLB, the NBA, the WNBA, MLS, we're expanding to the NFL. We haven't touched uh, NHL yet, but, um, but to be able to create that community across the board. And then we're finally, just in the last two years, have gotten finally corporate sponsors mm -hmm. to step up and to say, um, we have the president of AT&T of California, California, he's LGBT, he has two mixed adopted kids, his partner's from <laughs> India, they are the perfect mixture model family. Um, but he's now has supported it because he sees that at a critical mass. Um, and, and it's so funny because I've had my other mentors and advisors say, you know, this is a great idea, but you gotta learn how to scale it and also um, how you can reach the critical mass to make that change or to make that, make an actual impact. So it's kind of touching on everything that we've talked about. And so it's been amazing. We, we're now, um, we just finished our Dodgers Adopting Night event. Um, it also creates a platform where we can recognize individuals that have that experience. Yeah. Uh, but then also just bringing, just having some fun. You know, some of these causes are so, with homelessness, the, 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 the you know, domestic violence, all these are so personal, and and to be able to just come out for a, a game of sports, too. right? We're rest. You know? We need and rest. Exactly. <laughs> and, and to and to, just to have some fun because you know when you look at these foster care kids that that been through the system and you know and uh, wherever they're relocated or allocated, uh, to be able to just come out into a normal setting, and mm -hmm. you know that very clearly about you know um, being in a, a regular community versus isolated into just this foster group home right. or the agency and to be perceived as that mm. to just be out in the regular public it's, it's pretty powerful so I just want to share that so we're actually now we just finished uh, San Francisco our third annual and we're going to be going to Minnesota next month for our fifth annual um, adopting night and it's interesting because when you talk about identity we've been able, able to cross-set now identities where our uh, theme this year is I am mixed roots, and 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 then so we have the mixed chicks. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're the multicultural pair product line. So we've now incorporated the people that we're featuring are have mixed roots. They're mixed families, or and uh, and we're featuring them at our events. So, but I just wanted to share with the sports thing, and, and that's it. So, if you want to sponsor a kid, or if you want to get involved next year locally. If you know people in Minnesota, the Midwest, you know, yeah. we're, we're welcome, uh, anyone that wants to get involved. Uh, I'll touch on that just a second because it's a good time to 
it's kind of we're kind of talking about healing here, right? And and how and the idea of bringing a group together in person, there is a spiritual connection that happens there, and there's something healing about being in a space where you can tell your story openly and, and have that sense of belonging with the other people who are there too. So next month in August, we're going on a hiatus. We're taking a summer break and then in September we're going to come back and we're going to talk about healing is going to be the topic that we're going to and discuss. you're all invited back. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we, um, I mean like there's no critical mass here like we can always rearrange and reorganize to make room for more people or break up into smaller groups. There's a lot of opportunity here. We just really want to keep these conversations alive and and just. Healing with regard to community eyes <clears throat> or in general. I think that everything is in, when we talk about community, you're talking about three things, right? You're talking about your relationship with yourself, your relationship with the individuals in the community, and your relationship with the whole community as one. So it's like all those levels. And, and like, like we were saying earlier, in order to bring your best to a community, you really have to go in and do that self-healing. Mm -hmm in order to, to be kind of the best contributor that you can be. So it's, I well, think it's all tied together. Yeah. One of the questions we didn't even like get to explore tonight, usually we kind of get into like, we say like, what is it? What do we believe about it? What gets in the way? But then it's sort of like we take this macro micro level. So we're, we're kind of skipping over that micro piece because we really just want to hear about what you guys are all up to. Um, but typically we kind of usually talk about what does it look like in our own lives? Like what does it look like? What are some like, you know, the vulnerabilities that come up in community and what are some of the things that get in the way on that very personal level um, and like you know are you involved in community and what does that look like and stuff mm -hmm. like that so there's kind of there are a lot of layers to it I think so yep. healing should be really an interesting conversation I think but back to projects about community yes. anybody else <coughs> want to share I thought I saw Adam like making a move oh, over here oh I was here. going to simply <laughs> thank you for hosting tonight oh yeah, I thought you were bringing Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, yes. Uh, well, I'll give my little spiel at the end. I'll, I'll share. Um, so it's kind of like a general statement, but something um, with the handmade products that we work on, um, something that really speaks to me is that it offers an opportunity to engage with creative people in our community. So not only the artists um, that are making the products, but we love to work with people like all of you or maybe your friends that are creators of I things that, that can yeah. come in and partner on um, project collaborations mm -hmm. with us. So um, an example was several years back we did a project with um, Yarn Bombing Los Angeles oh and then it was in conjunction with um, their project at the um, Art and Craft Museum. Yeah. Okay. Hope I said it wrong. Craft and Folk Art Museum oh, on Wilshire. Okay. They did, um, <clears throat> they crocheted a giant facade to the, did any of you see that? No. So it's a big, big public art project. So what they did was yeah. they um, came in, are you familiar with the yarn bombing, what they do? No, they, what is a yarn bombing? They, um, <laughs> they create public art. So essentially they go out in the community and uh, crochet around a fire Oh, I should know exactly. I've seen the poles no, with no, the crochet no, around them, no, and I'm like, who did yeah. so, <laughs> so they did a big installation, um, so they worked with us, and they actually had a lot of leftover yarn, so they made blankets for the women that we work with, but they also came in in conjunction with that project and helped us create an ornament for Christmas time. That was a little house that the women um, 
were able to crochet, so they actually brought in <coughs> volunteers from their organization to come in and teach workshops at our organizations. It became this big community project, not only connected to larger art organizations, but so very much very touched cool. on that scale of working. You know, they had an, an exhibit at a large, they, they had a large art exhibit, but then they came and worked with us on a much smaller personal scale. And then we were actually able to sell that product and create <coughs> revenue to put back into the programming. And then the women were able to sustain a skill. So it has this multifaceted level. So that's, I think, what I would reach out for as anybody who, you know, is interested, has a, you know, an idea or a collaboration project in mind, you know, we're open to like that. There's a whole um, social impact division of the design school where I studied. Oh. Um, and I think kind of perpetual internships would be a great way to bring in young people. At Art Center? And, yes, and, and fleece them of <coughs> their ideas and then get the next I've one. I've been in contact with <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you've been in touch with them. Yeah, Do you know someone named Connor Johnston who had a group called Woodworks? I remember Connor. Mm -hmm. the Social Enterprise Alliance, yeah. 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 Or um, Laura Zahn runs a uh, wood shop in downtown LA. Raised zone art spaces that don't really have fire egress, but they need like they need updating and right, stuff like that. Right. So they, they've kicked out all these people, and in that process, I've gone to find housing, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't find anything that was near the price that you were getting in that because it was this like, this gray zone. So this is a really big idea. Bear with me for a second. Mm -hmm. But what uh, what I want to do is you have this issue where all the people in downtown, when I was living in downtown, that owned those buildings, lived in the Pacific Palisades. Right. They lived in you know, uh, you know, the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. They lived in other places and they were taking that money away from the people who were renting there, right? Mm -hmm. so there was no real collective action for people to, to get the wealth of their, their hard work. So you have these hipsters who you know, might move to New York to walk dogs and you know, bust their ass you know, making 60 grand a year, if they're lucky, just to live and experience New York for mm -hmm. 10 years, mm -hmm. then they're tired and they feel abused, they feel like the city has been beating them up, and then they leave, and they leave worse off financially, if not the same financially. Like, so they're 10 years of busting their butt, if they don't make it, they, they leave with nothing, right? So how do you tie this demand for rent, you know, with this demand for combining shelter with capital? And I think that there, it's just collective action, right? And if you can get, uh, collective owned housing and you can actually pay back the prop the the part of the profits from owning capital back to the renters and so what I'm looking to do is combine sort of a group housing project and community housing uh, and tie in communal elements with that uh, with a refund program that's like a proof of rent algorithm so the renters actually get money back uh, uh, in the form of a blockchain uh, currency that they can then go spend uh, in a merchant network that we go around and I've already been talking to people in downtown that are owned and operated businesses that are not focused solely on profits it's like obviously you have to make money I'm not I don't care if you're a for-profit business but when I go in does it look like you bought all of your stuff from you know silo and you're just cutting corners to make a buck off me <laughs> or are you trying to like say no I'm gonna give you the best breakfast sandwich that I can for $6 or $8, right? So I'm going to businesses like that, businesses that are having like, they're trying to make a culture in and of themselves and saying, hey, will you accept? And for Los Angeles, I'm calling it the, the La Reina, you know, the La Reina of Los Angeles. Yeah. So the currency is La, the La Reina, or La Reina. Um, and so you're tying in this, this, this 
uh, complex capital ownership structure to sort of a, a rent distribution of wealth. And uh, I think it would be extremely powerful. I mean, this is like a 100-year solution to the corporation, right? But the, what this would do is you're creating uh, a, a unit that can operate on scale that's human that you would have each, the way that I'm envisioning it is each building that would be, a, I call it a resident organization, would have you know, the resident leader of that each building. And each building would also have you know, part commercial, part industry on their floors depending on you know, retail, you know, commercial, first floor. You might have industry, sort of artistic studios, different type of creative things, second floor. And then you have living spaces. And so how do you tie together all of these things that you need uh, and still get that capital ownership? So you can rent from one of these things, uh, one of these resident organizations, and you still spend your $1,000 a month, 2000 whatever you cost for rent. But now you're getting back 150 reinas. But since the way that the, the blockchain asset ledger works is it goes on the asset ledger, your rent is backing the currency itself. So your rent is in perpetuity because you own these buildings. So these organiza the organization owns the buildings, but then they're also collecting rents on these buildings. And they're giving part of that, that rent back, all that, that basically just revenue back, back to the renters. And so you're incentivizing the local community, you're incentivizing everyone around you to not just cut corners, you're trying to, what I would love to do is right now, right now you walk around downtown, every single one of those buildings is trying to exploit you for capital, right? But if you, if you walk down to a city where every single building was one of these resident-backed organizations, they wouldn't need to try to exploit you. They could do whatever they wanted to do. And so their intents would be free. And so that's the city that I want to live in. And it doesn't exist. And I would love to live there. And I want to make it. Or make it Yeah. No, but it's through market forces, though, right? It's, it's how do you get this through not politics, through... How do you explain it simply so people can buy in? You read the PDF? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I've actually heard of what you're talking about. Well, and it's a lot of new technology. Yeah, it's, it's, so as it's, people it's become very, more, it, 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 I think it'll, it'll happen. It's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful. It's a, it, I think so. It's really cool. I would, I would love to see it be pushed forward. But yeah, my ask to you is, um, yeah, I was kicked out of a house in, uh, or at my my art studio in, what was it, March, and I've been wanting to pursue this full time, and I just can't. And so like, I have no idea, like. Sure, I can, I can do grant proposals and write grants, and I'm trying to get the website. I'm a producer, so I can do all the media. Yeah. But what I don't have is like short-term funding. Mm -hmm. you know, like how, do you, how do you even get the ball rolling? Yeah. There's, an, you know. there's an event you should come to. It's next Tuesday night in Pasadena that's all about impact investing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you don't really need a grant. You no. Need, you need an impact investor. Right, yeah. right. Because I need someone who likes the idea. Yeah, says, because there's, there's a model there that, that uh, I mean, there might be some grant money out there, but it's too long of a road to go. You need an investor yeah. who can right. see and has yeah. the vision and right. wants to have a social impact as well as a financial right. impact. So yeah. I'm, I'll give you I'm in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. I might join. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's my project. I was just going to say the same thing you're describing as the problem with home housing. Same thing could be said for food. Yeah, there's plenty of food Absolutely. to feed everybody globally. Yeah. We just yeah. can't distribute it because mm -hmm. of money. Right. Yep. You know, cost right. too much. We have so uh, problems of uh, what is it? Problems of uh, we have no. We live in an abundant society, not a scarce society. So we don't have problems of scarcity. We have problems of abundance, and the chief problem mm -hmm. of abundance is distribution. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk to you more about mm -hmm. what you're thinking because I feel like it'd be so cool to like. Yeah 
start putting some like stories together with it, right? I feel like the best way to like talk about that's going to be story and yeah. to make videos to really share because I feel like if you have like a bomb video and like you have like your media right. order, which I know you're like already a powerhouse, I feel like you could do some killer crowdfunding. I, I think yeah. Yeah, I, I think crowdfunding is the way to go, but it's literally because you're getting people to buy in on their own investment. Right. Like, this, yeah. is, right. this is something that returns right. really exactly. well for people. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like as a business, we're in. As a, as a business, <laughs> well, also it's just like the hot so thing like, right now is ICOs, yeah. and I was thinking of doing an ICO, an uh, initial coin offering. So yeah, it's very, <laughs> very, it's a very new sort of thing that's going on with these cryptocurrencies, and they're called um, these type of organizations are called DAOs or DApps, which is yeah. distributed apps or distributed automatic organization. There's this whole thing called Ethereum, which everyone here should know about in smart contracts and blockchain. Like this is going to change the world. It's really crazy stuff. Um, you heard it. But yeah, yeah. Connect you to this because he keeps calling me about this and yeah like, ethereum so is very very cool it's, it's very cool stuff. ethereum yeah ethereum and look it up tonight good <laughs> it's, we'll YouTube say it's about nine o'clock so probably now yeah, can be a good time at least to wrap this and mm -hmm. then anyone who wants to stay we're not going to kick you out so like, you're more than welcome mm -hmm. we'll just go offline at this point if that's the party no yeah anybody else have one yeah yeah i got one as well oh yeah no let's keep going so i told you the internet's still on I told you about here. the piano orchestra. <laughs> I'm trying to make that available to piano teachers and students around the city. So Where's that that's one. Huh? I'm in Pasadena. Okay. Um, but the other one is I put a piano on a cart, bicycle cart, and I tow it to business districts. And I'm, I'm basically awesome. going to uh, you know public events, and, and the idea is to sort of create community on the spot. Oh, wow, that's uh, awesome. Piano a la carte. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then, we should do a video about you. Yeah, the piano man. We'll talk. Um, but two community-based projects um, is, um, so uh, this group, Transition Pasadena, we've created something called Repair Cafe, which is, the idea is, you know, instead of throwing your broken whatever away, mm -hmm. don't buy a new one, get mm -hmm. it fixed. Mm -hmm. And so you may know that companies are making things very hard to fix these days, mm -hmm. whole built-in obsolescence problem. Anyway, uh, so we're fixing once a quarter we have about 60 volunteers that show up and we service about 60 or 70 clients on a particular day. Um, and it's like a party. And it's, cool. and it's like a party. Really and all fun. that nice. stuff that gets fixed, it's diverted from the landfill. The trash and the other project was the Time Bank. And the Time Bank has, uh, this is neighbors exchanging services without money. Mm -hmm. And essentially we're uh, exchanging time credits. And we've had uh, as many as 1,300 members uh, based around the city. Mm -hmm. We have little neighborhoods now. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's good for people who have time. It doesn't work so well for people who don't have time. But if you have time, you know, it's about creating relationships. So there's a very big yeah. community building aspect to this because it takes two people to really create the transaction, co-production, um, as opposed to what money does, which is you walk in, you pay your dollar, and you demand the service. So there's more of a co-production aspect to this, and so it builds relationships. And we built all of those relationships that we can put on a repair cafe through time banking. So we pay people hours instead of money. And, um, and a lot of people volunteer and they love it and they do it whether we pay them hours or not. But there is some value there that they can turn around. Uh, so 
We should talk after about time. Let's talk. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, this is very related. What we need to do is maybe we'll share everyone's, maybe we'll do an email afterwards or we can share everyone's contact in oh. a quick summary. Oh. Like you already have such beautiful summaries for everyone and that way we can all be able to interconnect because I think there's a lot of beautiful overlap. Is everybody okay if I share it? And get a picture, a picture Discord. from the live stream and everyone's yeah. like... Yeah. 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 What was the name? Yeah. And we have a private Facebook group, so we'll invite you to the private Facebook group. Yeah, that's also, a good so we place as well. Like, if you want to, yeah, yeah, as far as, especially with the project piece, like, if you want to be like, hey, this cool new thing happened, then we can all get excited about it with you and everything like that. So, yes. project. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, um, it's, it's a local project, but it has national and possibly international implications. In large part, some of you may have heard uh, that. Likely, uh, somewhere in either 2024 or 2028, the Olympics and Paralympics right. mm -hmm. will be coming to Los Angeles. Yes, yeah. The decision right. will come down in September, the vote in the IOC. Mm -hmm. um, but that decision impacts a program that I work with locally called Angel City Sports. It's mm -hmm. a three-year-old nonprofit organization that provides sports for people with physical disabilities. It's a pretty unique community, um, and it's a community that is extremely diverse and extremely fragmented because you're dealing right. with people with a wide <coughs> array of physical impairments from spinal cord injury and spina bifida to amputees to the visually impaired, cerebral palsy, MS, muscular dystrophy, and a myriad of other ailments that you've never heard of. Um, and so what's interesting is this community never aggregates except when they get together to play sports. Because if you have a spinal cord injury, you're going to spinal rehab. If you're an amputee, right. you go see a prosthetist. If yeah. you're visually impaired, you go see an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. You're never ever really together as a quote disability community. Mm -hmm. But when an adaptive sports program creates an event or creates a clinic, that's when the community can actually come together. Within there is still a lot of challenges because somebody who's visually impaired can't get in a wheelchair and play wheelchair basketball, but they can there are other sports, and then there are certain sports just created for people with a visual impairment or certain, again, certain physical disabilities. So it's a, it's a complex space, um, but this program that's been around now for three years is trying to put programming in place in Southern California that hasn't existed. Um, for many years, people thought... Sustainable programming. Well, yeah, and I think people, a lot of people just assumed, oh, well, there's, it's Southern California, and there's sports everywhere, and people are so active, and that there's probably a sports program for the person in a wheelchair. Well, unfortunately, there hasn't been, partially due to the cost. It's not cheap to yeah. put these programs together. It requires a lot of equipment, mm -hmm. experienced coaches, and access to facilities, and all those things add up. And it's logistically really hard in Southern California. It's a geography that geography. scales out you know, over miles and miles, and there's 20 million people in the mm -hmm. five counties, and how do you provide programming for all of that? So, it had really been done, and uh, a gentleman took it upon himself to say, we're gonna figure out how to do that. So I've been working with him since he started through over three years ago, and we're now, uh, we just completed our, our uh, third annual Angel City Games at UCLA. It was a four-day event with five different adaptive sports, and we had athletes from not only Southern Cal, we had athletes from 15 states travel in because they don't get opportunities for a competitive type of an event. Um, so with the Paralympics coming, seven or 11 years from now, and it is a little bit of a long ways away, it could have an impact uh, like what happened in London in 2012 when they hosted the Paralympic Games in London. 
Um, it really moved things forward for the disability community. People finally saw somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who was an amputee as an athlete and what they were capable of doing and not, not what they didn't have but what, you know, what, who, who they were. Um, so the hope is that by you know, having this global event here and then having a local program that can kind of be the legacy piece, we can continue to kind of build on that and share that message nationally. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. The other big piece that makes this community so difficult sometimes to, um, to, to, uh, to kind of create programming and build around is to some degree they're competing with, and I, and I use that in loose terms, with the Special Olympics. And yes. the Special Olympics is for people with intellectual and cognitive disabilities. I've been working with them for the past nine years. It's an amazing program. It does incredible work. But it's been around for 50 years. It's very well established through the Kennedy and Shriver family in Washington, D.C. It is one global brand. And it is clean and simple and easy for a corporate partner. You mentioned that it's so easy for a corporate partner to come in and get engaged. And you come over to the world of physical disabilities and it is the complete opposite. Right. It is not one global brand, it is a myriad of fragmented little organizations. And it is not clean and simple and it has, it has actually been around for 50 years but you wouldn't know it. So it's been really hard for that community to access corporate partners and larger sponsors because they're, they can't figure it out. Right. And it's too hard to spread the money around across a myriad of programs. So, it, it's, a, it's a unique space, but you know what we're trying to build here in Southern Cal, we have the power of LA and the media and the celebrities and everything that we can do to draw attention here. And then hopefully in seven, 11 years, we're gonna have a global event to shine a bigger light on it. So I'm excited and, about what we're, what we're doing. There. And there's no way that, you know, this is what's interesting of cross-secting the yeah. causes because the Special Olympics do have some disability, though, physical disability. So, Occasionally they do, so yeah, but, I, won't, I won't get into the nuances right, of where the I, overlap is because, because there is. Everybody it, wants their own. Exactly, yeah, and exactly. It, it does. It, may, yeah. it muddies the water. I will say this, though, and, 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 and it, it's, it's a statement that the founder of the program makes, and it is pretty impactful. And he says that having a physical disability, it's the only minority group that anybody can become a part of, mm. just like that. <laughs> and it's really true. You That's don't true. think about it mm -hmm. until it, again, like I said, until it impacts you, until yeah. it impacts your life. But as soon as you're somebody, or somebody in your family has lost their sight, a limb, mm -hmm. their ability to walk, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, they still want to participate. They still want to be out doing recreation and sports. So now all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, how do we do that? So it's a really, interesting space that you know really straddles every part of society youth adult we have a huge veterans community it's a lot of people and it's much bigger ironically it's much bigger than the intellectual and cognitive disability community much much larger community but it's just so fragmented it's hard to really wrap your, your head around it and you've already, already thought about partnering like with the hospital like maybe we do yeah we do a lot with with the hospitals yeah that's the key to get yeah. to get to, to get to at least at least youth and then people in rehab but yeah it's a it's a long challenging space it's not it, it doesn't get solved overnight so something i've been working on and will continue to be working on for a long time very worthy for the hard work thank you all so much for being here this is an incredible conversation we're just honored to be with you and 
thankful for the work that each of you guys are doing in the world. It's so powerful and completely inspiring. <laughs> so we'll be back here in September, and thank you. See you then. So with, uh, with that, that uh, timeshare app idea,